welcome to our weekly podcast of Who's Here in the Hamptons. I'm Dan Retainer, and I am broadcasting from here in the Hamptons, a place I have lived for over 50 years. I've written 12 books about this place, and I've seen it grow through the years from small fishing villages to what it is today, a summer paradise for New Yorkers, artists, writers, musicians, movie stars, we have it all. In my podcast, I will bring you interviews with the Hamptons' powerful people, but I will also introduce you to residents who contributed to our growth through the years, and you may not even have heard about them. I now uh, would like to welcome to the podcast to Lou Mizell, who is a, a prominent art gallery owner in New York City who's made a tremendous career out here in the Hamptons, a great impact both art and sculpture and some of the buildings that he has built on properties that, that uh, he has bought on the highway, almost all of them except for your home, which I was uh, down there the last couple of weeks. Tell me a little bit about how you uh, started into the uh, art gallery business. What, what got you interested in uh, art from that perspective? It's a story goes way back, but we'll try to be brief. I was actually trained as a classical pianist from the age of four to 14. Uh, so I went to concerts on weekends with my parents. But when I was 14, a precocious friend of mine, a year older, said, uh, it's your birthday on September 4th. Let's go to the Museum of Modern Art. I said, what's that? Hadn't been to a museum. And when we walked in, what did I see? But Rothko and Klein and de Kooning and Stamos and Motherwell and... Uh, Wow, I didn't even know what a painting was. And here I'm looking at some of the great stuff that was ever made in America. To make the story short, we got very much excited about it, involved. And by the time I was 18, I had discovered the Cedar Tavern and I had met most of those artists. Eventually, I was very good friends with Stamos and Rothko and worked for them. Uh, I was a little bit late to pop art because uh, the abstract expressionists weren't too happy with the pop artists. <laughs> But then I got to be friends with Warhol and Lichtenstein and primarily Wesselman and Ramos. So I, rem I ended up representing Stamos until he died. And they actually represented Ramos until he died. But the pop artists had brought back the idea that people could paint imagery again. And it led to a hundred artists who were painting new realism in the 60s. We can name a lot of them. But towards the middle of the 60s, I met Malcolm Morley. And then Chuck Close and Richard Estes and Audrey Flack and Ralph Goings. And in 1969, I opened my first gallery on Madison Avenue. And I put together a show of six artists who were working from the photograph and making incredibly new kind of realist paintings. A critic came in, a good friend of mine. He said, Lou, these are great, but the art world's going to hate it. They're going to think huh. you're going backwards. And uh, he said, well, what do you call these artists? I said, I don't know. Number one, they are using the photograph and they're not denying it. As a matter of fact, they're making a point that that's how they gather information. All through history, artists did use the camera, but they denied it. I said, I don't know, uh, photographing, uh, photo, photorealism? I don't know. He wrote an article on Sunday, Mizell Gallery is showing photorealism. Uh, six months later, Jim Monty opened the, the 70s at the Whitney with a show called 22 Realists in which were six of these artists that I named. And he used the word photorealism because we had discussed it when he was looking for artists for the show. And for the last 50 years, I've been showing and promoting photorealism with books and hundreds of museum shows 
and lots of fun, believe it or not. In some ways, it's been said that you established the whole genre of photorealism uh, just by that offhanded comment. It's, it's uh, quite something. I, I think one of the first paintings of that order I ever saw was one of Audrey Flack's early paintings, and I could hardly believe it wasn't a photograph. It was so quite remarkable that anyone could have such control over their, their hands to paint in a way that you wouldn't be able to almost tell it apart. Uh, two things uh, I wanted to mention. One is that most of the photorealists and also, of course, the abstract expressions all were, not all, but almost all of them were had were settled in the, in the woods way out here in the Hamptons. They were accessible to New York City at that time by train, only a couple hours. So there was a whole hive of these new arts, artists that were establishing the move from uh, Paris to New York and then out to the Hamptons of the center of the world for, for artists. And you stepped into that as uh, in Soho on Madison Avenue. And the gallery must have been quite exciting at that time. Yeah, it was, it was interesting. And... Um... You know, quickly to go back around the end of the 1800s, 1890s, uh, the uh, Long Island Expressway brought the Long Island Railroad out to Montauk. And while cameras were around, they weren't very good. And somebody came up with the idea of inviting the American realists. And at that time, the greatest American realists were painting Hudson River School, Luminous. So they invited about 100 artists, including William Merritt Chase, out to the Hamptons, what they called it. They said, we're going to give you a three-month vacation, all expenses paid. We want you to paint pictures of the Hamptons so that we can take them around and show and promote what's out there. At the end of the summer, it was over with and half the artists said, hey, we ain't going back. We love it here. Oh. And the Springs became a center of the vacation period or whatever for those painters called the Abstract Expressionists. And as you said, in the 30s, when the war was starting to get going in Europe, the, uh, the current artists in Europe were the Surrealists. They came to New York. They met up with the abstract expressionists or the painters that were going to be, and somehow they got out here. And you mentioned Audrey Flack. She is now living in Max Ernst's house, which was passed down from Max Ernst to Jimmy Ernst, and now Audrey Flack is there. And there's been a great tradition of artists from New York coming out here, living for the summer weekends and moving out here permanently. And my friend and I kind of followed. And my first excursion was in 1959 or 60 in my friend's Porsche. We came out with sleeping bags because we didn't have much money. And we tried to find out where the artists lived and et cetera. And, and we slept in the dunes in Amagansett in our sleeping bags. And that was my first excursion to the Hampton. Is Audrey, is, are you talking about her house on Cottage Lane or did she move? Yeah, from that's the house that uh, she bought from Jimmy Ernst. Probably for $150,000 30 years ago or more, which is probably worth millions and gazillions now. It borders on Martha Stewart's house, and you know everybody that's over there. Uh, and she's still perking. She's going to be 90 this year. Yep. And her studio is still active, and she's still making great paintings there. Yep, she is. When did you uh, decide you wanted to be out here? I guess I always wanted to be out here, but up until, uh, well, let's say this, I got married in 1966 and we didn't have a lot of money, but I also, my wife and I thought it would be a good idea if we spent about 14 or 15 or 16 years 
of just having a lot of fun before we had kids. I did have one son. He has four children, grandchildren. But for 16 years, we traveled the world. We went all over the place. We did all sorts of things. Ari was born in 82. And that's when I said, okay, time to actually buy a place in the Hamptons. And in 84, we bought the house in Sagaponic. So that was really designed for a summer when school was out. Yeah. Well, we were That's right. We were here for the summer. We were here on weekends. We were here on holidays. And then after a while, after he grew up and everything else, we started coming out on Thursdays and going back on Mondays. I was in the gallery three or four days a week. Now I go in one day a week just to check in with the staff, hang painting, see what's going on. Uh, Until this is over, I'll be out here almost all the time. Well, in the interval on your property in Sagaponic, what is it, eight acres altogether? The house that we got in eighty in 1984 was on two acres. And in, uh, I think it was 87, actually the day the market crashed, believe it or not, I bought the lot next door to me, which is another two acres. And that's where I've started building my sculpture collection, which now has about 30 works on it, 30 sculptures. And uh, you can look it up. It's on Google Maps. It's called the Sagaponic Sculpture Field. You were there two weeks ago. Yes, I was. And... Uh... Any, anyone is welcome to come into that. It's open 24-7 year-round, and it's open to the public, and there's a sign on a tree above the Sagaponic Sculpture Field. It says, enter and joy, and people do. Most of these sculptures are 10, 15 feet high. This is a remarkable thing to see. They're big, and they're, they're up to 3,000 pounds, and uh, there's a lot of local artists. i Collected, of course, Audrey Flack and Ed Haukovic and Joel Perlman uh, and, and others, as well as internationally named famous artists for my own. And you, you don't have to be invited. You're welcome to come there yourself, just see the field and walk through it. Is that correct? That's right. As a matter of fact, I, uh, it, during the summer, I installed a sculpture show which with about 15 sculptures along Montauk Highway. Um, and there are signs at each one. And if you go to mizelgallery.com, you find an interactive map and it ends at my sculpture field. So the people that do go on that tour continue on and then end up at the sculpture field. And then if I'm around, we get to talk about sculpture. Uh, how did you uh, come to putting so many, how many, you have sculptures on the Montauk Highway, both directions. And I think you have at least a dozen massive sculptures on the highway, which is beautiful, almost as if the highway itself was an art show. How does that, how did that come about? I represent Hans von der Bovenkamp, who is, in my opinion, one of the top abstract sculptors of our time. Certainly one of the most important and the best pure abstract sculpture in the Hamptons. As I acquired properties, which I started doing in 87, Every time I got a property, I put one of Hans's sculptures out in front so that when I decided to do this, it meant another four or five. And I put them in front of different businesses. And I made it clear that uh, when we photographed them, that we're going to promote the business in Watermill. It's Tracy Anderson and Bespoke. In Bridgehampton, it's Colette. In in Bridgehampton, it's also Compass. So these are in front of those buildings. Uh, and people can see them and they see the, the uh, offices. And you're seeing the sculpture the way it was meant to be seen. Right. As opposed to 10 in my gallery, you're seeing them in front of businesses and in buildings and in front of residences. And they look pretty terrific. One of them, one, most of them are stainless steel. 
One of them is bronze, and it's front of the new restaurant, Armin and Judy, in Bridgehampton. I had a, a, a property, as you know, on the uh, south side of the highway in Bridgehampton, and I put a sculpture out there, which was uh, had been commissioned for Guild Hall, was by Jeffrey Parson. In the end, the town, the village of East Hampton would not let Parson's sculpture join as a second sculpture in front of the Guild Hall. So I, I took it and he brought it by and it still, it sat there until I sold my office there about nine or 10 years ago. I don't know where it went since then, but uh, I thought it was also very important to have something beautiful in front of your, your place of business. Now you're um, working with, uh, with dance papers as far, as far as extending what you've been doing in Bridgehampton and Watermill, where you have your commercial properties. And we're going to be working with you, placing sculptures all over in towns and villages in the Hamptons for people to see. Yeah. How did that come about? I met with you and Vicki Schnepps there at your house and turned out you would, you, I didn't know you had ever done anything to join the pieces that you've had placed out there into a, some similar unit. But how did that, how did it come about that you decided to link them in that way that, that you have? Well, first of all, just to point out, your building was next to my first building on the highway for about 30 years. So that's how I met you. That's how far we go back there. But anyway, I had done this. And then recently, a couple of weeks ago, there was a full page article in your paper that said something about doing a sculpture tour. I said, what is that? And, you know, I assumed that, you know, everybody knew what I was doing and probably they did. But one of Vicky's assistants called me and said, I heard that you did the sculpture thing. And I told her. And we would like to uh, expand on that or do our own. And uh, would you be willing to assist us? So I said, absolutely. Uh, number one, you can add sculptures to the locations where I am. Number two, uh, I know all the galleries. And I think that if we get going on this, I'll call up and talk to other galleries and say, listen, um, we've met with the mayor of Southampton and we've met uh, on the phone and we'll in person with the mayor of East Hampton. They are both very happy and on board with this. Uh, in Southampton, they have this really wide brick border between the street and the sidewalks. And Jesse Warren said, you want to put 20 sculptures up and down, you know, Main Street and Job's Lane? Be my guest. Tell me what you want and where. So it's a matter of me finding galleries and telling them, listen, there's no cost to you other than choose your artist. We'll pass on it. Unfortunately, they won't let us have very good nudes on the highway there. But anyway, select artists. All you have to do is bring it and place it, and it will be a year-long tour. Your name will be on it. Dan's papers and Vicky's other papers will publicize it, and it will be something to just give to the communities. And uh, while I'm along the highway, Vicky wants to focus on the towns, East Hampton, Southampton, Sag Harbor, even out to Riverhead, uh, Hampton Bays. She's got much bigger ideas than I had, and uh, I will assist to the best way I can by introducing and connecting with galleries and other artists. Another thing you've become quite known for, and you've written many books about, is you're a collector of uh, Americana. When I walked through your house the other day, I was astonished uh, at uh, some of the things that uh, were, were there. And I'd like to tell our 
listeners uh, some of the collections pieces you have? Well, um, my wife and I have well over a hundred collections and for 50 years, we've kind of determined what other people weren't paying attention to. It has to have some historic, aesthetic, cultural value. There has to be enough of it so we can get more than one a year. There can't be too much of it so that there's thousands of them out there. Uh, there has to be some historic importance. And out here, we collected boot jacks from the 18th and 19th century, 19th century, lawn sprinklers of all sorts, children's chairs, decoy ducks focusing on the East End, where there was a, a lot of really top makers, so on and so forth. And about Oh, 10 years ago, it got overwhelming. And I gave seven collections to the Southampton Historic Museum in Southampton. We also have on the walls the biggest and best collection of porcelain and steel cow signs with every breed of cow that used to be in front of the farms and things like that. Uh, we have the sculpture field, of course, and we have the best collection of beech trees probably uh, in the East Coast of the United States, 31 different varieties of beech trees. And that's what we've been doing. Uh, the Americana you were talking about, I think you were talking about my great American pinup collection. Yep. In the 30s, 40s, and 50s, illustrators were big-time realists while abstract expressionism took over the fine art world. And a, uh, a small segment of that was the, the artists who were painting pinups, mostly used for calendars and blotters and matchsticks and everything else. I grew up with that in the 50s. I started collecting it in the 70s. I built the biggest collection. I wrote the book, The Great American Pinup. Probably sold 600,000 copies already. Uh, and that's just another one of the major interests that the world is interested in. Great American Pinup. You can find all that on the web. You put my name in anywhere, you'll find all of the things on There are several other books that have sold over 100,000 over the years. These are big coffee table books that thump when you put them down. Yeah, the ones on photorealism, on Richard Estes, on Charlie Bell, on Mel Ramos, on different pinup artists. We wrote a book on Clarice Cliff, which was English deco pottery that we built the best collection of. And part of the thing about collecting is build the best collection, know more about it than anybody else, and then publish and give it back to the world. And all those collections, ultimately, as I did with the seven to the uh, museum here, those collections will all be donated to museums. Well, it's, it's been quite something. I, I was imagining the two of you waking up in the morning to be in and amongst the world of the things you have collected, which must be an extraordinary feeling. Gives you a lot to look at, and yeah. looking is what it's about. The other thing besides looking is listening, and I got back into classical music uh, about 20 years ago, I'm involved with Piano Fest of the Hamptons, uh, Concert Artists Guild, Promusicus, New World Symphony in Miami. I'm the classical music curator at the Parish Museum, where I do eight concerts a year when we don't have COVID. And uh, all of that is now, at this point, pro bono to support classical musicians, primarily pianists. And what the pianists and my photorealists have in common is that it takes them eight to 10 hours a day, every day to do what it is they do. That's what the discipline requires. And I support it. Do you still play? Very rarely, but every now and then I can and I do. I keep saying if I would take six months away from everything else I do, I'd bring it all back. But 
there's no point. I'd rather listen to and promote the artists that I care about than make the music myself. Well, that's a, it's a wonderful story. And uh, since I had watched your first building go up where there had been a grimy gas station next door to my property for years, I've often driven by uh, your watermill house buildings. These are environmentally correct buildings, I believe. Uh, yeah, they actually, uh, my son became a lead expert, leadership in energy and environmental design. And the watermill buildings were the first gold lead buildings, uh, commercial buildings in Suffolk County. And we do that and we've been doing it. Anything we build, we build to green standards to the best we can. Yeah, I, what I was saying is I think of you every time I'm driving along the highway and I see one of the sculptures. And also, as you know, uh, Hans uh, donated one of his, his monumental sculptures to be shown until it gets sold or something in front of the uh, Bridgehampton Child Care Center building and uh, along the Sag Harbor Turnpike, which is kind of, they're such uplifting and exciting pieces. It does wonders to see something like that on that place when you drive by. Yeah, well, that, that is part of the tour. Uh, I think about 10 years ago, uh, someone there, we were talking and they, 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 they're trying to find something to have the landmark so they can say to people, here we are, because there are just other buildings on the highway. And uh, I talked to Hans and we lent them that piece and it's a long-term loan. As long as it's, you know, they want it, it's going to be there. And as I say, it is on the tour too. Oh, well, tell me also, your wife is very, very active in many areas. Uh, in, in what ways are they different from what you've been doing? First of all, She's an artist. Um, when I met her, she was painting. She went to visual arts. She went to uh, Parsons, artists that are out here. Some of them were her teachers. Uh, I guess I've sold a thousand of her paintings over her career, 50 editions of prints. Right now, she is running a bakery at Armin and Judy and having a great time inventing and baking pastries and breads and all sorts of stuff. Uh, on Montauk Highway. Well, to explain, I, explain just where that is. It's, a, it's 1870 Montauk Highway. It's next to the Kimco Shopping Center, across from where the Carvel is. They opened the restaurant on the 15th of December last year. In February, they had incredible reviews. March 15th, they had 140 people to dinner, and the next day, Everybody got shot down. Yeah. But what's been keeping it going is Susan's Bakery. Every morning, people come and buy thousand, two thousand, $3,000 worth of breads and stuff. They line up. And uh, now the restaurant is back and running again. We don't know what's happening because uh, what Cuomo is going to do about that. But the bakery is still takeout and, and doing very nicely. Susan's been into cooking her whole life. When I do the concerts at the parish, 50 of them over the last eight years. She has 50 people to dinner to celebrate and for the artists and everything else. She gets involved with the other people and helping them do parties and stuff like that. She's also become a golfer and she's an avid tennis player four days a week. So we're having a good time. I have to say, I really admire the energy that you've put into your life. Uh, I had Really, I had gotten to know you because of the building next door and the sculpture you put up actually at the Sanford House, which was uh, owned by the local plumber and was next door to uh, where I had my shop for a number of years. 
it's it's good to have gotten to know you in in these other ways. And I want to thank you for coming to the podcast. This is Lou Mizell, uh, Hampton's original. I will be seeing you soon. So take care. It's been very fun doing this. And I got to tell you, I've done so many over the years. This was a lot of fun. Thank you. You're welcome. Bye. Bye.